and I hear from the left side this unearthly scream. I've never heard anything like it. Like I can hear it coming at me, but I can't see it. And as soon as my left hand hit this thing, it took off. It blew my mind just to see it happen. From HV Studio, this is Unnerved. Welcome back to the Unnerved Podcast. It's where normal people share their abnormal stories, and if you enjoy true stories of the strange and terrifying, then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Chris Fricky. We've all heard the stories and the theories revolving around the legend of Sasquatch, or most famously known as Bigfoot. This fabled cryptid has become an icon within our culture and is commonly seen in gift shops or portrayed on TV in some way. But what if Bigfoot was doing more than lurking in our imaginations? What if Bigfoot actually exists? In today's story, Chuck describes a series of encounters he had while working as a wilderness guide at the Boundary Waters Wilderness Area in northern Minnesota. This vast remote landscape extends 150 miles along the U.S.-Canadian border, covering over a million acres of lakes and forests. If you were to look at a map of this area, you'd quickly understand that this is the perfect place for a creature to hide. What Chuck experienced on this trip made him question whether he and his group were truly alone. This is his story. I was working uh, as an intern at a uh, canoe base in northern Minnesota. And this was the summer of 2012, working as a guide up there. Uh, This was a base that was uh, owned by the Boy Scouts of America. This is called the Charles L. Somners Base. It's uh, in Ely, Minnesota, just outside of Ely. Um, it's up what they call the Fernberg Highway. Uh, it's based on Moose Lake, and it is a uh, quite a large um, a canoe base. Uh, it's got a lot of cabins, and uh, we, just have, we have a great area that we can launch off water right from there. We have access to the highway. Uh, really good location, and that is on the American side of the uh, the Boundary Waters canoe area. The Canadian side that we border is called the Quetico, so we run a lot of trips that kind of just bounce along the borders there. A typical trip for us is about uh, 10 to 12 days, uh, 7 at the bare minimum, 12 at the maximum. The most you can have in one group by permit out there is about 9 people. And so when you're running nine people, that, that's a full crew. Uh, there are some rules out there. Even if you run across another crew, uh, you are not even allowed to get within a certain amount of feet of them or you violate your permit. So it's very interesting the way it works out there with the permits. But uh, this particular crew that I was taking was a, a smaller crew, one of the younger ones I'd had. They were from Oklahoma. Um, and we had myself, 
two adult advisors, um, basically the scout masters for that troop. And then we had the six boys. So nine of us total. The boys were young. They were, I think the youngest was 10. He may have been nine, but I think the youngest was 10. And they went kind of up into about 13, 14. I've been working with crews that were about 16 to 18 up to that point. And a lot of the crews that come out, they either want to go fishing or they want to go do mileage. And so mileage, it's not that bad for a bigger crew of boys to do 200 miles. And that's what this crew wanted to do. And I knew from the beginning they might not pull it off. So I did have a backup plan in mind. And as it turned out, we were getting behind schedule and there was no way we were going to make the 200. So I decided to detour us. And in that detour, because, you know, they were feeling a little, little beaten down, morale was low because they knew they weren't going to be able to get their mileage. But I told them we could definitely still get a 100 miler and we could definitely still go and see some cool stuff uh, because I knew a shortcut that would take us right through to where we needed to be. And that shortcut includes a waterfall. Waterfall is called Eddie Falls. Um, and it is right off of uh, Knife Lake and there's a portage that runs right by it. And the portage is a, uh, a trail that you carry all your stuff and your canoe everything over land between two lakes so the, the the entire boundary waters in Quetico area is it's just lakes and land and so it's a lot of paddling and then you get to a spot where you want to go to another lake and you gotta pick everything up and carry it it's never really that far um unless you're doing some major portages but it's never really that far so we, we stopped and ate lunch at the falls and then we put back in on the water paddled around uh, the corner there and then we found a campsite very close to the waterfall that way we could go hang out there's not a lot of waterfalls there it's pretty flat land so we're up there and uh, we're hanging out at the campsite the boys went down to the the falls and they you know took a shower and we all went and got clean and came back and I had a I had a group of boys setting up camp and I had the advisors working on a fire and so I'm out in the woods and I'm gathering firewood. This area of Bramble, it's, it's a lot of deadfall. A few years before we had been there, there had been a blowdown um, where they have what they call straight line winds, which is almost like a hurricane, but it's just a straight line, blows straight through, um, and it just knocks trees down. And so we were in an area that had been hit by this uh, to some extent. And so, I mean, it's really just, you're very carefully trying to step over tops of I mean, just down trees, and it's a lot of a deadfall that people have walked over. So you're walking on this very kind of kind of sketchy trail to where you got to watch your feet because you'll punch through, and you can break an ankle out there. So I'm out there gathering firewood. You got to you got to remember there is big bramble, so I can't see anything um, around me really, other than you know, ten yards in front of me on either direction because I'm just covered in in brush here. And I get to a point and I'm picking up some some firewood and I hear from the left side this unearthly scream. I've never heard anything like it. It stopped me dead and I've been working in the woods. Now, I mean, this is the first job I had working in the wilderness, but I've been in the woods since I was a kid. Uh, I've been a hunter since I was a child. I've been out in, alone in the woods 
since I was like 10 years old. And I've never heard anything like this in my life. And it just kind of stopped me dead in my tracks. Um, froze me up a little bit. I didn't really know like what it was. It was just kind of, it was just curious at first. And I was like, that was extremely loud. And I've never heard that. And then the second one came. When the second one came, it was closer. It had a resonance that kind of bounced around like inside your head and it like it, it froze you up. And I've never, I mean, I've heard animals of all types screams, elk and mule deer and uh, wildcats. I mean, there, there are animals out there that make noises that are horrifying to hear. It, like the, the top end of it sounded almost like a cat, like a wildcat. But the, the lower end of it was like nothing I've ever heard before in my life. And by the third one, I could start to feel the noise. And starting to kind of reverberate like within my body. And that was when it really kind of like, I, I don't want to say I blacked out, but I kind of like lost lost track of what was happening for a minute like it, it was kind of one of those it was like a, almost like a trance a little bit and i'm listening off to the left side and it's coming straight at me like i can hear it coming at me but i can't see it and i can hear it crashing too through the brush and it's just getting closer and closer and then i made this this weird involuntary like a whoop or a bark <gasps> That was a, a sound that I've never made before and I've never made since. It was a weird primal kind of sound. Like I barked back at this thing and it was not something I intended to do. Yeah, because it just hit me so deeply within like my being, not even my, my psyche. It was beyond my brain. It hit me in my body. Um, it hit me somewhere way, way back on the timeline. That's the only way I can explain it. It hit me somewhere primal. And yeah, and I, I made a sound back to it, uh, whatever it was. And, and then that kind of brought me back into reality. You gotta remember this, it's still going off. Like this thing is still screaming. And I, at that point, dropped my wood pile and I ran back to camp because I remembered, I was like, I have people I'm responsible for at this point. And so I ran back to camp and they had heard it too, of course. Uh, I mean, it was exceedingly loud. And the boys there at that point, you know, I mean, they were young. They, I could tell, I could have told them basically anything and they would have believed it. But what I told them is that it was wild boar. And there are no wild boar in Northern Minnesota. <laughs> so um, they were from Oklahoma. So the, the scoutmasters, the advisors, they knew that it was not boar. And one of them actually did say, he said, that wasn't a boar. What was that? And I had to tell him straight up. I said, I, I don't know what that was. I've never heard that before in my life. <laughs> I said, but I think it's best we keep this kind of on the low from the boys because we're going to have, we're going to have an issue on our hands if we don't. So from there, um, you know, we stayed in that campsite that night. We just kind of, we, we brushed it off and, went along with it and 
went to bed that night. And that's when the next part of the encounter really happened. I set my hammock um, as a rule when I worked at that job. You were able to set your hammock, uh, you know, way off, far off if you wanted to really. As long as you could hear camp, um, you were able to go have your space as a guide. And so I would set my hammock um, about usually about, you know, 50 to 100 yards off from camp. So I was somewhere in that range. You know, as a rule, I always set my hammock right about at my at my head height so that when I'm laying in it, I'm about six feet off the ground. Uh, the only reason for that is that I, I kind of like being up high. I'm a climber. So <laughs> so I was, in, I was in my hammock there, and the way I would sleep if it was not raining uh, would be just to take my tarp and throw it right over top of me like a blanket over your head. And the only reason for that is to keep, number one, the mosquitoes off, and number two, the dew, the morning dew. And so that's, that's kind of my sleeping setup. I'm off, off from camp up high in the tree in my hammock and I've got a tarp over my head and down toward my feet is all just thick brush it's all that bramble I was out in earlier and toward my head that's where the water line is and I wake up had to be three or four in the morning based on how dark it was and I hear this sound off in the woods toward my feet and it sounded like a woman sobbing and it wasn't a wailing it was like a sobbing sound, like a, you know, <laughs> like a sobbing sound. It sounded like a, like a, like a woman. And, and so I wake up, and I'm like, what is that? And, uh, and so I'm, I'm laying there under my tarp. I'm listening to the sound, and at the same time, I'm, I'm hearing it coming through the brush down toward my feet. But it's not coming directly toward me. It's going at a diagonal kind of toward where camp is over toward my left and I'm listening to this sound and trying to place what animal it could be like like a moose or a bear or um, you know any number of different things that you could find up there and I can't place it because it sounds to me like like human steps like a bipedal individual I guess my initial reaction was that one of the one of the scoutmasters was out and had gone to pee and got lost in the woods. Uh, you gotta remember half asleep. So I'm like trying to piece together the sobbing with the steps and I'm like, what is happening right now? And the sobbing just kind of stops. And it's just, it's continuing to get closer to me, but at a diagonal to where it's going into camp. I'm listening to the footfalls and listening to it go basically just right through camp. It went past the tents and kept walking and it is now heading right toward where I'm hanging in my hammock. So I'm still laying there under this tarp. I can't see anything and I'm not sure if I want to move or not because, I mean, at this point in my mind, it's either a bear or a moose. Either one, you don't want to surprise um, because yeah, I mean, a, mo a moose will, a moose will stomp you to death in a heartbeat and a black bear, if you surprise it bad enough, it will kill you. So it's, you know, I'm like, I don't know what I want to do here. I'm just going to, you know, just going to wait this out and listen. And I, I mean, I could feel his body presence on my left side as I'm hanging there blind in this hammock. What happened next was essentially just 
what felt like an eternity, but it was only probably a, a couple of minutes, maybe two minutes tops of me just listening to this thing breathe. something i've never heard really before like i've heard i've had bears next to my hammock all the time i woke up with three bears next to my hammock and you can smell a bear um this thing i could smell but it didn't smell like a bear but and it also didn't sound like a bear like a bear has like a they have a you know they they snort like a like a dog does a sniffing something but this thing had just a very measured in and out breath but all it was all it was super congested both every time you heard it it was the in and out were both congested and the smell of it was it wasn't musky and it wasn't like a wet dog it just had this weird quality of it that smelled uh like somewhere in between it was almost like uh anybody who's ever spent a lot of time down south that, that smelled like what a swamp smells like like a like a low tide it was kind of like a low tide mixed with a wet dog. It was a weird kind of smell, but it wasn't strong. It was very faint, but it was standing right there next to me. And like I said, it felt like forever, but it was only about three minutes, two to three minutes before I made a decision. And I was like, well, <laughs> I'm like, this thing's just going to stand here until I make a move. And my move was to go ahead and get my hands slowly up under the tarp and go ahead and just push it off over my head. And when I did that, my left hand hit whatever this creature was. The only way I can describe what I felt was it was like, it felt like long dreaded hair. It was not fur, it was hair. I, I touched it, I think in the chest because of the, the musculature. I mean, it felt like a chest muscle. And as soon as my left hand hit this thing, it took off. I mean, it was gone down toward my feet. At that point, I actually thought that I had felt the shoulder of a moose. That was where I was at with it. But I was like, moose don't have hair that long and they don't have matted hair. I was like, yeah, that was weird. I'm too tired to deal with it, <laughs> you know. Um, Let's just, I'm going to put it aside and I'm just going to not mention this to the crew. So I, I did not mention it to any of my crew. Of course, the rest of that night, I didn't sleep. That's for sure. I did get up and look for prints. I found nothing because uh, it's, it's granite. So, but there was a, a definite trail of uh, something that crashed through the bushes on both sides. We get up and go ahead and uh, take off out of camp. And we only went not too far down to an island. It's called Robbins Island. Um, it's on Knife Lake. And any of the, the US side, the campsites are designated by a, uh, a fire pit and a grumper. And the grumper is a giant fiberglass toilet seat that sits over a big hole. And they call it a grumper because anytime you go out there, the mosquitoes and the horse flies are so bad that it is a horrible experience. One of the adult advisors there, he decides to go up to the Grumper and uh, we're, we're still setting up camp. I mean, we're barely even set up. And so he, he goes up there and uh, it was not very long that he was up there, a couple minutes. 
he comes running back down. He's like pulling his pants up, like trying to get his belt done. He is cussing and swearing, talking about a gorilla. He said he saw a gorilla run across the path in front of him while he was sitting down. I asked him, was he sure it wasn't a bear? And he said it was not a bear, that he's been hunting bears entire life in Oklahoma. And I have too, I've hunted bear a, a, a lot as well in North Carolina. And uh, I know what he means when he says it wasn't a bear. Uh, you know a bear when you see one and they, they don't they don't run agile upright across trails. And also black bears are not nine feet tall. And that was the estimate he put on that thing. He said it was about nine feet tall and it was definitely a monkey. So at that point, I started to think about my night in the hammock. And I'm like, well, if I was six feet up and I hit this thing in the chest, then that puts the head right around eight or nine feet. And you know, at the time, I didn't know what we were dealing with. You gotta remember, I, I'm not at this point thinking anything in particular. I'm just like, we're dealing with some kind of an animal out here and I'm not sure what it is. So I was like, all right, well, he's come down and he's freaked all these boys out. So we're definitely not gonna sleep tonight. So I was like, let's, let's change it up. We'll pack everything up, we'll do a night paddle. And uh, just what it sounds like, that's paddling by headlamp. And you do it in the middle of the night, it's a lot of fun. Um, for us, it seemed more like an escape tactic, but I was like, these boys aren't gonna sleep, so let's just go ahead and get out of here. So we went ahead and left Robin's Island before we even had a night there. We, uh, we started down, down our way back, and we did uh, quite a few hours that night, including some like waist high water portages at night. But after time, you come through, uh, come through some lakes and uh, you end up in what's called Newfound. That's what connects you back to Moose Lake, which is, of course, where our base camp is. I'm like, all right, well, we'll just, you know, we'll go find a camp spot uh, at the beginning of Moose Lake. And the next day we'll wake up and head in because it was good. It, we were due to be in the next day anyhow. And so we're coming through from Newfound to Moose Lake. And instead of a portage there, you actually just have a very narrow uh, little bit of water. It's like a little channel with two little spits of land that almost touch each other. And so it's a very narrow channel there. We're coming through and the, uh, the channel is not very deep. So you, you've got to hit it dead center. But from, from one bank to the other at the very narrowest point, I would say uh, at the time was probably 200 yards. But like I say, it's, you know, you have to hit it right dead center. So we're like, we're anywhere from 75 to 100 yards into this thing. I mean, we're way into this pinch. And out of the side comes this big rock. I mean, it was like the size of a, a basketball or volleyball. A huge rock. Um, and I mean, it was way up in the air. And it came and, I mean, almost hit the front of the canoe. It was dead in front of the front canoe, which is the one that I was steering, so I could get everybody through. And um, I mean, these are Kevlar canoes. If it would hit that, if it would have hit it, it would have crushed it. Yeah, it would have sunk that canoe 100%, like destroyed it. Um, but it hit right in front of it, almost as if aimed. From there, I was like, paddle, go right now. There's nobody sitting out there in the woods with a trebuchet throwing rocks that size. No man can throw rocks that size. Bears don't throw rocks. Moose don't throw rocks. There's no cliffs. There's no, I mean, other than falling from the sky, there's no way 
that that would have been anything man-made. It blew my mind just to see it happen. So at that point, I didn't even know what to do. So I was like, let's just paddle to the middle of Moose Lake. <laughs> so we paddled to the center of the lake and we tied all three canoes together in a flotilla and we dropped a couple anchors and we slept on the lake that night. Well, I say slept, we just kind of sat awake all night on the lake. <laughs> um, and interestingly enough, it was very silent that night. We didn't hear anything. The next morning, of course, was our, our time to come in. So we got up, went in, got our canoes unloaded and got the crew unloaded and sent them, you know, back to their cabin to get cleaned up for dinner and all that. We got dinner and they did not want to talk about it, really. And, you know, that's fine. I kind of did, but they didn't really want to. So it is what it is. I didn't really talk to them about it. And I sent them on their way the next day. And that following day, I was working on the base camp area and uh, I was working the canoe yard just offloading crews that were coming in and my buddy who I had trained with there he came in and uh, I was helping him offload canoes he had a weird look on his face like a thousand yard stare type deal going on where it just like looked like there was something on his mind and I asked him I was like how was your trip man he was like well it's, it was great we had a good week and then we got into uh, into the newfound area and I was like, yeah, something happened there. He said, yeah, we came to the newfound pinch. We had a rock thrown at us. And I was, I was like, like a, you know, like a, you know, because I had not told him what happened to us. So, you know, like a, like a pebble. He said, no, it was like a rock. It was like, <laughs> like a big rock. And for a while after that, people kept coming off water from that area. It's called the Bear Loop. A lot of people, a lot of people will start talking about the Bear Loop and the Knife Lake area, Newfound and Moose, um, and having these experiences with, I mean, not only like rock throwing, but sounds, and there were several other sightings. So that happened for quite a while, and uh, we were all kind of hanging out in the staff lodge one night. Eventually, you know, these experiences came up in trail stories, and um, there was an old, old guide who was sitting in the back, and all he, all he said at first was, uh, he said, well, it was about time somebody else saw one. And he'd been there for over 10 years, and, uh, he, I mean, he had been seeing them for a long time, apparently. He, he knew they were out there, especially in that particular area. And seems like a super down-to-earth guy, and I had no reason to doubt anything he ever said. Uh, but, yeah, he, he definitely knew they were out there. After that point, I never really questioned what happened. But I mean, you know, I, I think I think definitely it was a Bigfoot, um, or actually a population of them. I think they're a group, um, and I think that they hang out right in that Knife Lake area, of the Boundary Waters. But yeah, I mean, it was, it's definitely one of the experiences in my life that was it changed me a lot. I think about it all the time. Um, what happened out there? What was your viewpoint before this all happened? What was your view on Sasquatch's Bigfoot? Like, what was your view before starting out on that trip? Um, well, before that, I was I was open to the idea. Um, I mean, I'm you know I was I grew up in the woods. I've always been out in the woods. I, I'm Boy Scout, Eagle Scout. I mean, I've always been out in the woods, and I've had weird experiences. So I've never been. You know, I've never been closed off to the idea. I was always open to it. And 
once this happened to me, kind of solidified in my mind. I was like, all right, yeah, this might be a thing. Did you go through there again or experience anything else strange like that in that location? You know, that was, uh, that actually ended up being my last, uh, my last tour there, my last guide trip there, because I, on that off shift, I got poison ivy so bad on my feet that I had to get steroid shots and I couldn't go on my last trip. And I never ended up going back to that area again. At some point in your life, you've probably come across the famous Patterson-Gimlin film from 1967. The footage shows a large gorilla-like creature walking away in the distance. To this day, experts still debate whether this film is a hoax or not. Fun little fact, this sighting was in Humboldt County, the same county where Young had his UFO encounter. If you want to listen to that episode, it's titled Chased by UFO. In North America, Bigfoot sightings continue to increase on a yearly basis. While many of these are clearly hoaxes or misidentifications, the amount of eyewitness accounts should give any rational person a reason to consider the possibility. Could Bigfoot be more than just folklore? Over the years, much of Bigfoot's existence has been used as a business plan for people to capitalize on, whether it's t-shirts, signs, TV shows, or video games. Though I'm not against this, I can't help but think that the Bigfoot industry continues to affect the credibility of first-hand accounts. Because of this, Bigfoot has grown to be more of a myth than a reality. I personally don't know what I believe at this point, but I can't excuse it as fiction. As I was finishing up my conversation with Chuck, he left me with this. Right on, man. Well, hey, be a believer, man. They're out there. I promise you. They're out there. Thanks again for listening to Unnerved. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to see photos related to each episode, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Unnerved Podcast. There, you'll be able to see photos of Chuck during his time at the Boundary Waters. Hope you guys have a good rest of your day and we'll see you next time.